Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for a great morning so far. I pray as we look into your word, God, that our hearts will be open. And God, that we will hear what your word says. God, we'll hear specifically what we need to hear. And God, we'll leave here and put it into practice. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you give Josh and the band hand for a great job? Good morning, and it's great to see all of you here and those who are watching online. It's great to have you with us, too. How many of you like tests? It's spring break, and most of them are gone, but they don't like tests, I guarantee. What We've got the sheep and the goats here this morning with the youth. Is that... It's a biblical illustration, probably doesn't make sense, but we know what tests are in Ruston with Grambling and with Tech right here, and of course with our high schools and our schools. The ACT and the SAT are two uh, very well-known tests that students take that is supposed to be reflective of what they've learned in elementary school, junior high, and high school up to this point, and reflective on whether they get into Harvard or wherever they're going to go based on that. I made a 40 on my ACT. Is that not incredible? That's a lie because 36 is as high as you can get. So I'm not preaching online this morning, so that was okay. Well, this morning, I want us to take a test that, that is part of a wisdom test that really does show in, in a particular area of your life how wise you and I are. Remember, wisdom is, is not only common sense and, and doing good sense. Wisdom is doing life God's way. To be wise, you are doing life the best way for you, for your husband, your wife, your family, because being wise is doing life God's way. And so we're going to look this morning in Proverbs. Proverbs is our main text. We do have several texts, so I would encourage you to uh, as I always do, take notes, and you can write down some of these verses because we may move through them pretty quickly. But we're going to look today at our, at our money and at wisdom. Now, this is not a tithing sermon, so don't panic or freak out or run to the doors. But it is impossible to be wise if you do not handle your money well. You can't compartmentalize your life and be, be good here, here, and here, and then have another, one area where you're just a complete idiot and be living wisely. It's just impossible. And money issues are gigantic issues in our life. I saw a Wall Street Journal blog this week that, that talked about credit card debt and that the average American, the average American carries over $15,000 month to month on their credit card. And if you don't know much about credit cards, that's not good. Then that is, I mean, you're just the interest you're paying is incredible. And that this report went on and said most Americans are ashamed of their debt. Well, of course we are. We don't, you don't go to your connection group or small group and say, hey, how much debt do you have? I mean, you know, that's just, that'd be a weird and rude question to ask. But, but man, money is in everything we do is tied in with, with money. I'm speaking with Brandon this week and, and reading other counselors. Did you know the number one cause of marital problems? Listen, you, you who are planning on getting married, the number one cause is not bad preaching. <laughs> 
It is money issues. The thing that causes the most problems between couples are money issues once they get married. And the number one cause of divorce, certainly not the only cause, but the number one cause of divorce is money issues. So to, to not get this right is to have a huge gap in your life. So I want to ask you four questions this morning. You answer you and God about how wise you and I are with our money. And then more importantly, what are we going to do about it moving forward? Here's the first question. Is money your God? And boy, this is probably, uh, obviously this is the heartbeat. Is money your God? Something is your God. Something is my God. <clears throat> Something's number one in your life. Maybe it's, it is uh, sports. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a hobby. For a lot of people, it's just M-O-N-E-Y and everything that comes with that. And I want to pause and say, young people in front of me and over here in particular, the, the quicker you get this, the better off it will be. Th- this stuff is, is stuff the the quicker you learn it, the earlier you learn it, the better off you will be. Is money your God? In First Timothy chapter 6, I just told you Proverbs will be our main text, but we're going to start in Timothy. In First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, now God is writing this through Paul to Timothy, who is in Ephesus. Ephesus is a wealthy city. And I think it's important, he's writing this to Timothy, and the first people who are hearing this aren't pagans or atheists, it's church people and probably a wealthy church. So it, it's similar to a Rustin environment. He says, listen, to those who desire to be rich. Now, he doesn't say being rich is evil. He doesn't say being rich is bad. But he says those who chase after, the word desire means to lust after something. It means to, it means to pursue it and probably and not in a great way. Those who lust after being rich will fall into temptation. They'll fall into a snare. And they'll make many senseless and harmful desires will come up that will plunge them into ruin and destruction. Hold it there. What he's saying there is when, not that if you're wealthy, not if you get wealth in the proper way and you keep it in the right place, but if you are chasing after being rich and being wealthy, you need to understand the Bible lays it out clear. You are laying some traps for yourself before God. I think money, power, pride and sex are the four biggest lures that Satan uses against us, and they are addressed heavily in Proverbs. Look in verse 10, for the love of money, not money, money is neutral, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some people have wandered away, stepped away from God, and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek is a very expressive language. They had four words for our one word love, and the word we talk about a lot in church is the, the Greek word agape, for God so loved the world, agape the world. That The word agape is an unconditional love, that he loves you, even if he doesn't feel like loving you sometimes. It's a, it's a, it's a choosing to love. The word used here is the word phileo which is the word for brotherly love. And so it's kind of neat. He's saying when you start having a warm, fuzzy, cuddly, lustful love for money, you are going to get in trouble. You're going you're to put yourself in a bad spot. I lived in Dallas, Fort Worth for years, and I used to read the Dallas Morning News every day. And I remember reading about a very wealthy Dallas person. He, this was his admission he said, I wake up in the morning thinking about how I can make more money. This is an uber millionaire. I go to bed at night dreaming about how I can make more money. And I'm not making any kind of statement on his spiritual condition, but that would make me concerned 
because he was admitting the thing that drives my life is the desire for money, money, money. You know, the Bible said that the desire for money, chasing after money, if money's your God, can lead to all kinds of evils. In the last 10 years, it's, it's not even safe to go to certain parts of Mexico because of the drug wars. That may have something to do with turf or territory, but more than anything else, it has to do with M-O-N-E-Y. People will kill for money. They'll steal for money. They'll cheat for money. We'll see that in a moment. God says, if money is your God, now you've got to be honest with yourself this morning, you're headed for trouble. And it's easy to, to talk about some millionaire in Dallas because that doesn't relate to most of us or some drug lord in, in Mexico doesn't relate to most of us. But in the year 2015, there was a massive surveys done of, of freshmen entering college. By the way, those are the freshmen, many of them that are graduating this spring. And they asked them, what is the number one thing you want to achieve from college and when you get out of college. What do you think is the most important thing? What's going to make you happy? 82% of them said making money. If we can make a lot of money, that's going to be the key to happiness. And in that same article, and I have no idea if this person was a Christian or not, in the same article, this man said, but study after study after study has said money is way down there on what's going to make you happy. Isn't that significant? I think it's hugely significant. Harvard Business Review last year interviewed 4,000 millionaires. They called me even. It was amazing. <laughs> they interviewed 4,000 millionaires. Some of them were worth 2 or 3 million. Some of them worth up to 80 million. Now listen, they asked these millionaires, some of them multi-uber millionaires, how much more? Is it going to take more money to make you happy? 87% of the millionaires said, we need more money to be happy. Some of them worth $100 million and said, we need, if we only had twice as much more, we would be happy. In other words, money is not going to scratch the deepest need in your heart. Let me tell you as a pastor how this plays out a lot of times too. I think sitting in, in, in our church, I think sitting in every church in Ruston, I think right over here and right in front of me, if you're not real careful, what's going to happen and what happens to a lot of people. God calls you to be a foreign missionary. God calls you to be a pastor or a, a minister, a youth minister. And you know that call. But you start making money. And you start having kids and you start making more money. You got a nice house, you got a nice car. And you're a nice person and you do good things, but you're going to stand before God someday and you're going to have to answer why you didn't follow Him. And the answer is going to be because you chased money. And by the way, you're not going to find many people who are going to admit that to you, but those who would would tell you there's a hole in my heart that Ben Franklin can't feel, only Jesus can. Let me give you a good statement. It's not original with me. Wise people make Christ, not money, their Lord. Wise people make Christ, not cash, their Lord. Question for you, is money your God today? Question for me, is money my God? Here's the second question. Are you trying to get your money the right way? Do you try to obtain money a right way? Proverbs 10.2, tainted wealth has no lasting value, but right living can save your life. Leave it there for a second. The word tainted means wicked. 
Okay, that's your drug dealer, right? Not your pharmaceutical salesman, but your meth dealer. Well, the word tainted can also mean wrongly. Maybe you're not doing it in an illegal way. You're just getting your money in the wrong way. Proverbs 13, 11 continues the theme. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. And Proverbs twenty-two sixteen says this, A person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor or by showering gifts on the rich will end in poverty. Hold it there for a second. The word oppressing is a, is a bad word. It can mean violently. It can mean wrongly. But it can mean, it can mean by deceit or just defrauding people. And the poor is the needy and the destitute. Here's what God says. Making money, you've got to make money to live. You need money to live, but you don't worship money. You worship God. Christ is your Lord, not cash. And when it comes to how you get money, this is huge. You want to take advantage of people? You want to cheat people? You want to take advantage of poor and destitute people? And then you want to kiss up to the people who have the money and the power and the influence? Go ahead. A lot of people do. But you need to understand God's watching. And that's a very unwise way to live. How many of you know the name George Soros? It's not somebody that lives in Dubok. He's an international figure. No, none of you know George Soros. Look, I want to introduce you to him this morning. He's a billionaire. He's involved in world politics. He's involved in American politics. And this is a statement he made. So I'm not, I'm not uh, putting words in his mouth or I'm not slamming him uh, in a wrong way. I'm telling you what he said. He was asked in an interview about making money. Here's what he said. He said, when I look at a business deal or a business transaction, I do not consider how it's going to affect people. I don't, I don't consider how it's going to affect the community or the city that I'm coming into. I don't look out how it's going to affect the people who may get laid off or the people who may be hurt by it. I look at one thing when I'm making a business decision, how I can make money. God, folks, that's just the opposite of what Jesus says. And if you're, if you're desiring to be wise, you've got to be wise in every area. And one of the huge areas of your life is your finances. Are, do you cheat people to make money? Are you, are you paying people a lot less than you should pay them? Nothing wrong with making a profit. But we see some corporations, a few in America, where you've got two or three people making a ton of money and the people on the bottom end aren't making anything. That's wrong. You don't have to be a gangster to get your money in the wrong way. Tainted way is the wrong way is what the Bible says. Is getting inherited money bad? Absolutely not. I keep waiting every day for that phone call from that uncle I didn't know who was a billionaire who died and left it to me. And I'm going to take all of you out to eat if that happens. Wouldn't that be cool? And the children's building will be paid off if that happens. It's not going to happen. Nothing wrong with inherited money. But he says, watch out for quick get-rich schemes that come along. I'm asked regularly by people who are obviously praying and bargaining with God, if I win the lottery, will the church take my tithe? And I say, absolutely. And I tell them, if I win the lottery, it'll be as great a miracle as Jesus walking on water because I've never played the lottery in my life. Let me tell you something about the lottery. It's very interesting. These aren't coming from religious sources. 70% of the people who win the lottery don't have any money left in about three or four years. 
Many of them declare bankruptcy. A lot of them get divorced. And a lot of them says the worst, can you listen to this? The worst thing that ever happened was we got rich quick because we had all these friends and family we never knew we had. Here's an interesting little verse in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. I bet most of you didn't know it was in the Bible. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. You know how God wants you to make your money honestly, and a great way to make money is work. Isn't that neat? Amen? You want me to work for mine? Sure. Hey, here's a great question for you this morning. It's going to be a great question for you guys as you get a little bit older. Are you making your money honestly, ethically, and morally? Wise people get their money in a way that honors God. Wise people get their money in a way that honors God. Here's a third thing, a third question. Are you generous? Are you truly generous? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if you want to please God, wise people are generous. In Proverbs 11, 24, and 25, give freely and become more wealthy. This is counterintuitive. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. That word in verse 25, prosper, literally means to be fat. Now, this is such a cool concept. Fat's not in anymore. I mean, you know, you want to be yoga-type pants, skinny, you know, and all that, right? Not me, but some of you. That's fine if you can pull it off. I never have and never can, never will. Hundreds of years ago, you know what was in was being chubby. Can you imagine? Because poor people did not have money for food. Poor people were skinny. If you saw somebody walking down the street who was chubby, they were a rich person. How many of you long for those days to come back? Wouldn't that be awesome? Put on a little weight and show people you got some money, right? Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) Rolls for Jesus, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) You know it would. Why well, ain't God so cool? God says, listen, you want more money. You want me to bless you. Be generous. Be generous. I want to give you two ways to, for generosity. And you, you, you answer these for yourself. Number one, if you're a Christian, do you tithe to your church? Now, I want to give, if you're not a Christian, you're, you're here today and you're seeking or you're a drug here, you got three minutes to play on your phone, okay? And then, then we're going to come back to you. This is just of Christ followers. So I want to say the next few things. If you're a Christian, you, you should tithe to the church that you go to. In Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, great verses, honor the Lord. Show, listen, honor means show God you think he's worthy. Show God that you think he deserves your glory. One way you do it is by honoring him with your wealth, with the first fruits. Make God your first debtor of your produce. Listen, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Wow. Again, counterintuitive. God says, you want me to bless you? You give and I bless you. What, what is a tithe? A tithe just means 10%. Now, we don't have time, and we're not going to get into all this this morning. So, again, don't panic. But if you have a question this week, you want to talk about it, you disagree, that's fine. We'll, we'll, I'll be happy to talk to you about it. But if you really if you look from Genesis through Revelation, the idea of a God follower, a Christ follower, giving 10% of their money to God and, and through their local church is certainly the way it's laid out in the New Testament. That's your, your first place you give. I think that's the principle throughout the Bible. Now, 
The vast majority of church people in the world don't believe that. In America, wealthiest country in the world, we, we give, the average church person gives about 2.5% of their income to their church. Our church really is good. About 25% of you tithe, which is awesome. I, just, I wonder what would happen if 50% did, how cool that would be. And again, it kind of comes back to, is, you know, is Jesus going to be your Lord? And listen, you don't, you don't start tithing when you get a job and you make big money. You start tithing when you're in junior high and high school and elementary school off the money you make. Now, because if you're not going to tithe off $100 a week, you're not going to tithe off 10000 no matter what you tell yourself. Do, do you tithe to your church? Do you give as you should? Here's a cool thing. Last year, this church, we gave $550,000, over half a million dollars, to mission causes outside of our church. Now, folks, I believe that our youth ministry, our college ministry, our music ministry, our senior, those are mission causes, absolutely. We gave another half a million dollars outside to 40 different individuals and in causes. Is that not awesome? And that's because of God and because of you. Hey, wouldn't it be cool to do that? would be a million dollars next year. Wouldn't that be great? And you, you know, we have the money. You're just sitting on it. You get it? So if you're a Christian, tithe to your church. I read this on social media back in January, and it's so good. If you're a Christian, the best investment of your money is to give a tithe to your church. You go to a Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching church, the best investment of your money is to tithe, okay? You're, you're an atheist, tune back in. We're going to talk about you now. We'll talk about all of us. Not only should we, we, we tithe as a Christian, but I want to ask you this. Are, are you generous to, to other causes and to people? Be generous to other causes and to people. Bill Gates is the founder and creator of Microsoft. Bill Gates entered a club the end of last year that, that has two people in it. It's, he's a centi-billionaire. Centi-billionaire means that he and Jeff Bezio, who is the Amazon guy, are the only people in the world worth $100 billion. How many of you guys wish that we could tune him into Tech, Grambling, Cedar Creek, Ruston Schools, and the First Baptist? Wouldn't that be cool? And to you personally, wouldn't you like to be a part of that? Listen, Bill Gates has made a ton of money, but he's very generous. In recent years, he and his wife have given over $36 billion to charity. And, and here's what he said in an interview this year. He said, when I was young, I didn't even think about getting married. I didn't think about vacations. I didn't think about days off. Man, I was driven. I was goals, 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 accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. And how I kept myself from burning out, I always had a new goal in front of me. He goes, now that I've gotten older, that doesn't work anymore. He said, what I found out is giving me peace and joy is generosity and blessing other people. And, and before you say, well, yeah, you're giving billions, that would happen. No, it, it happens when you're giving $10 or $100. Listen, neuroscience tells us that when we are generous and we give, it releases feel-good chemicals in our brain. It blesses us. That's how God's created us. Look at these little verses in Proverbs nineteen seventeen. If you help the poor, you are lending to God, and God will repay you. Proverbs twenty eight twenty seven. Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. I want to challenge you. You're a Christian. You tithe to your church. And what you can do beyond that, man, when you can help people, help people, buy, buy lunch, buy supper, be generous. Start being generous right now. Give to life choices. Give to tech. 
Give to Camp Harris and Sean Kafka. Give to Grambling. Give to Cedar Creek. Give to the Ruston schools, Shudrin schools. Get, get, bless people with your money. Listen, wise people are generous. Someday when you die and your casket's in, in, at the front of the church, they don't ever say a lot of great things about stingy people. Well, here lies old Uncle Fred. He was a good guy, but, man, he didn't give a penny to anybody at any point. They praise generous people. They name buildings after generous people. Are you generous with your money? Wise people are generous. And here's our fourth question this morning. Are we living with an awareness that we will stand before God someday? that we're going to answer to God. We'll tie this into to the money theme in just a second. But listen, wise people understand, even if they're 15, they're 10, or they're 25, that whether it's tomorrow, 10 years from now, hopefully 100 years from now, you're going to stand before God. You're going to answer to God. And, and on the money theme, this is a very, very, very important. We're going to answer to God about the house and the watts of our money. The house and the watts. What, what do I mean by the house and the watts? About how we got it. You cheated people. You took advantage of people. Or you worked hard and you invested wisely. God's going to be real interested how we got our money. God's going to be real interested what we did with our money. Yeah, God, I, I really, you know, I sat on it all, God. I held it tight. 2 Corinthians 5.10 is a verse that ought to scare you straight. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one will give account to God for what he's done in the body. Lost people saved, all of us will. And you and I can bet someday when we stand before God, we will answer about how wise or unwise we were with our money. But here's a last little thing that I want to, to give you that I think is very important too. Your money's not going to save you. Your money won't save you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells the story of a rich guy. He doesn't condemn the guy for being rich, not at all. But, but he condemns him for being a fool. Here's how he was a fool. The guy says, man, I have got it made in the shade. I'm going to build me more barns. I'm going to build me more things. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And life is grand. And Jesus said, you're a fool because this very night your soul will be required of you. In other words, this guy, this guy was living his life, the high life, with no thought at all about standing before God someday. Every day you ought to remind yourself, I'm going to answer to God someday. And when it comes to wealth... Proverbs eleven four. listen to what it says. Riches won't help you on the day of judgment. But right living, really that means, but righteousness, rightness with God can save you. Listen, when you and I stand before God someday, God's not going to be impressed with your gold card or, or your portfolio or, or how much money you made. God's going to be interested in, in how you got it and what you did with it. But you, listen, being rich or being poor, neither one of those things are going to get you into heaven. You'll meet a lot of poor people in hell and rich people in hell. There are going to be poor people in heaven and rich people in heaven. That's all based on what you've done with Jesus Christ here on this earth. If you and I are wise, we have got to handle our finances God's way. And a big part of that is understanding that someday we're going to answer to God for it, 
And then even more importantly, we're going to answer to God about our souls. So I want to ask you, not have you been wise in the past, I want to ask you right now, will you and I be wise moving forward? Will we be wise moving forward? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I I would ask you, how are you doing with these things? How would you grade out in this test? And what will you do moving forward? If you're not a Christian, but you're ready today to cross that line with Christ, you're ready today to give your life to Jesus, pray with me. And just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're God's son. And that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart. And Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a minute. And when we do, here's my challenges. You just ask Christ in your heart or you're ready to do that. Before you leave the building, settle that with God. Come down here to the invitation. Let us help you. Meet me at this door after church. But whatever you do, you make sure you're ready to meet God before you leave here today. Maybe you'd like to join the church. We would love for you to join the church. You can come and do that when we stand and sing in a moment. You can do that over here after church too. But do that today if God's leading you to. You're a Christian. Many of you are doing great in this area. Keep it up. Maybe there's areas financially you look today and you're not being wise. I want to challenge you where you're standing or at the altar or praying with a minister. Man, repent. Jesus can't be your Lord if you're going to keep some area of of your life from him. Man, open it up and let him have all of you there is today. Let's stand. God leads you. You come. We'll be waiting for you down here at the altar.